Welcome into another edition of the Ebony Bird Podcast. Probably the most depressing, the most somber episode we've done so far. Of course, the Baltimore Ravens falling 31-27 to to the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday on New Year's Eve. In front of the half-empty stadium, freezing, really, the coldest home game in Ravens history. And coupled along with the Buffalo Bills defeating the Miami Dolphins and the Titans defeating the Jacksonville Jaguars, the exact scenario that Ravens fans did not want to play out happened and the Ravens will now be watching the postseason from the couch instead of on the field. So we have a lot to dive into. There is a lot to break down and discuss and complain about. Um, I know three days after the fact I'm still confused. I I can't say I'm shocked. I I remember talking last week um, on the Ebony Bird podcast. I I talked about it all week on social media. I was not going to be shocked that the Ravens lost this game. And I'm still not shocked that they lost to the Bengals for the eighth time in 11 tries. But the way that it happened, the Tyler Boyd touchdown on 4th and 12th is certainly to linger in the minds of Ravens fans for months to come, including myself. Uh, so with that being said, welcome into another edition of the Ebony Bird Podcast. I'm your host, Jake McDonald. You can follow me on Twitter at jmcdonald 95 And you can find us on Twitter at ebony underscore bird as well as ebonybird.com. And like always... This podcast coming to you through either iTunes or Blog Talk Radio, the official Baltimore Ravens page from Fansided. Now, fellas, breaking it in, joining me, the two site experts, Joe Schiller at Joe Schiller of Two R's on Twitter and Chris Schistler at FootballMan58 out on Twitter. Plenty of content on the Ebony Bird app, by the way, which you can download from the App Store. First and second round draft plans for 2018 written by our friend Connor Brooks and then Joe and Chris have been all over it ever since the New Year's. Joe's had has a couple articles out now, including three defensive coordinator replacements, Ravens signing four players from reserve futures contracts, and five players the Ravens must move on from in 2018. And then Chris just put an article up literally right before we started recording this podcast about how the Ravens should be afraid of staying the same. And he also has another article up there, the case for and against firing John Harbaugh. So there's plenty of content Lots of thought, lots of opinions and analysis following the Ravens' heartbreaking, soul-crushing, franchise-altering, whatever you want to call it, loss to the Bengals. And it's just, it's so frustrating. Like I said, I'm not shocked. There's not a shock factor here. But how many times have we said that despite all their accomplishments this season, they finished with a 9-7 and record again, but they finished with a winless record against playoff teams, and then when it mattered the most, they lost not to Tom Brady, not to Ben Roethlisberger on the road, but to Andy Dalton, Tyler Boyd, and the Cincinnati Bengals at home in basically a a playoff game, and that's pretty much what it amounted to. So, fellas, a couple days after the fact, just uh, you're still, I'm interested to hear your takes, your opinions, your thoughts, uh, your rants, whatever you want following this, this potentially franchise changing loss like I said and before uh, Chris goes just wanted to mention happy new year to everybody but let's dive into it how we're feeling a couple days after this loss I don't think asking the Ravens to beat a six-win team at home to get to the playoffs is that much to ask for but apparently it is the Ravens came into this game thinking they were going to win it they got behind they got punched in the face and they didn't respond well Honestly, if it wasn't for Chris Moore's heroics at the end of the first half, this might not have been a heartbreaking loss at the end. This might have been a heartbreaking loss that we had to sit through for a long time. It was an ugly game. The Ravens did everything you could ask for wrong. But there's almost no point in talking about the game because for the third year in a row, the Ravens have failed the same exact way, and that's the story. The story isn't 
that the Ravens lost to the Bengals. The story is the Ravens let it slip away when they did everything to control their own destiny. I mean, this was the hottest team in football coming into this game, and they laid a freaking egg. I mean, I don't know what you want me to say other than the fact that this is an epic failure. This is the most embarrassing moment in franchise history, and I'm never going to get over it because this is the Bengals that were not good. This is the same Bengals team that in Cincinnati we beat 20 to nothing. Uh, and I know we weren't going to get another 20 to nothing shutout, but give me a break. Yeah, it is so frustrating. And I feel for you, Jake, and the other fans that were at the game because it was just absolutely freezing and you had to sit through that. I mean, it is one of the worst moments in franchise history. All the Ravens had to do was win. They even had, I think it was nine out of ten scenarios where they could make the playoffs, and they picked the one where they didn't make the playoffs. So that just is just heartbreaking. I mean, that last play, all you need to do is stop them on fourth and 12. But like we've seen in the past years, they just can't do that. I, I don't get it. It's just, all you need to do is make one stop, and the Ravens fail to do that. And not only do the Bengals get the first down, but they score a touchdown. I mean, it is just unbelievable, and it doesn't surprise me one bit. I mean, I feel like the Ravens kind of gave us a little bit of hope coming into this game. They had won, won some games and been on a little bit of a hot streak, but let's take a real look at who they've been playing coming up to this point. You said, Jake, I mean, they came, came up winless against playoff teams. I mean, would we have expected the Ravens to make a run in the playoffs? Maybe. I don't know. It depends on who they would have been matched up with. But it doesn't feel like the Ravens have gotten anywhere since last season. It feels like we're stuck at the same exact spot. They have the same exact draft pick in the 2018 draft. The same inconsistencies are still happening. The same problems on defense, despite Ozzy's um, investment into the group for the entire offseason, yet they're the unit that can't make the stop to get the Ravens into the playoffs. Like Chris said, it probably should have been um, a blowout game or pretty good win for the Bengals because if it weren't for that Chris Moore um, kickoff return, I mean, I don't think that the Ravens get shut out or don't get shut out have, are down – at halftime even more. And, I mean, the Chris Moore interception in the second half was brutal. That wasn't Joe Flacco's fault. It's just Chris Moore couldn't hold on to the ball. That really changed the momentum. It just – the Ravens just didn't deserve to be in the playoffs in the first place, and I think that just proved this here. And now there's a bunch of questions around what's going to happen. I mean, is Harpaw going to stay? Probably. I know we'll get into it. But Dean P's retiring. What a way for him to go out to end his tenure <laughs> by letting the touchdown go. I mean, that just feels so fitting for him. But it's just frustrating. Like, as a fan, you've watched – they lost the Ravens, fight injuries, and all these um, other problems during the season to put themselves in a position to win and to get into the playoffs. And that's the one thing they can't do. And I really just think that speaks to what the mantra has been in the franchise the past couple of years, and something's got to change. And you, you did bring up a good point, Joe. I was at the game. I was in attendance. Um, and I'll be quite frank. Like, I, I wasn't – like, I keep saying I, the shock factor wasn't there, but I, I felt angry, not so much for me, but for a lot of the Ravens fans that went out to that game and sat there in the cold – um, particularly a couple of days after the entire Ravens front office went up there and basically begged for uh, fan attendance and fan support after a week showing off throughout the season, which has been a problem around the entire NFL. And then they played subpar football against the Colts and followed that up with this loss at home against the Bengals. Really does not look good. Um, it reflects on John Harbaugh. It reflects on Ozzie Newsome. It reflects on the entire front office. And going back to John Harbaugh here, we're going to go into whether or not he's staying, but I just want to mention that, you know, the first half on offense, I mean, what, what the heck was that first half right, right there? Seven punts, a field goal, and a touchdown that only happened because of the Chris Moore run back. 
they had two first downs in the first half. That really goes to show the lack of preparation, the lack of urgency from not only the, uh, the Ravens, but the coaching staff as well. They just weren't ready to play this game. It's really as simple as that. I, I talked about this. I have a long rant on uh, Charm City Birdwatch. I put up a nice half-hour just unscripted reflection the other night, which you can check out over there, Charm City BW on Twitter. But I brought up this point on that podcast, and I want to bring it up now. Game-winning drives for opponents in particularly important games. This is since the Super Bowl. So 2014 Divisional Round versus New England. With five minutes left in the game, Brady goes on a 10-play, 74-yard drive, capped off by a 23-yard touchdown pass to Brendan LaFell. Flacco would throw an interception on the next drive to basically end the game. Christmas Day 2016 against the Steelers, Ben Roethlisberger went on a 10-play, 75-yard drive with a 4-yard touchdown pass to Antonio Brown to give the Steelers a lead with 9 seconds left. Fast forward, same exact stadium on December 10th this year against the Steelers. Another 10-play, 55-yard drive ended with the 46-yard field goal by Chris Boswell with 42 seconds left. And then this drive against the Bengals with the game on the line was the longest of them all. An 11-play, 90-yard drive capped off with that long 49-yard touchdown pass from Dalton to Boyd. This has been harped on not just here, but all a bunch of other talk shows around the NFL and around Baltimore. The Ravens have pumped so much resources into their defense and... Time and time again, they just have proven to not be clutched. You just look look at the play itself. Andy Dalton to Tyler Boyd. C.J. Mosley slipped on the coverage. Their best draft pick, arguably, I mean, he is essentially, since they won the Super Bowl, flopping on that play. And he struggled a lot in pass coverage this season and showed in this particular game situation. Then you had Eric Weddle, the big free agent signing, who has had a Pro Bowl season, does lead uh, the Ravens in interceptions, but was nowhere to be found on that play, was catching up to Maurice Kennedy and Brandon Carr trying to make that tackle on that play. These guys just aren't Ray Lewis and Ed Reed, and I don't expect them to be, but they've pumped so much resources, so much time and energy into their defense, and it's not showing. And in the most important times against key opponents, they're choking. There's no other way to describe it. That's what's happening. I think Team Pease is responsible, and I know the players messed up, but you didn't send any pressure on Andy Dalton. You gave him a clean pocket. You have a coverage breakdown, and he scores. Dalton shouldn't have had a clean pocket to throw the football into. We've been making this mistake how many years in a row? If I was Dean Pisa, I would have done anything in my power to prevent the same exact thing from happening. But, no, let's let let the same exact thing happen. How many times do we have to see it? And, and, you know, this time the players messed up, yes. Everything you said about Mosley and Well, absolutely true, Jake. Absolutely true. They let us down. But at the end of the day, Dean Pease did it again. Oops, he did it again. It's unbelievable. How many times do you have to do the same exact thing? No pressure on the quarterback. Drop everyone back in soft coverage. Don't challenge any of the receivers. And let the safety be the reason you don't win. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it was so fitting for Pease because I mean, we call him Swiss Peace for a reason. I mean, there are just so many holes in the defense when it comes to those game-winning drives and game-clinching situations, and the Ravens could just never seem to figure out. I really just do not understand it. And where's the pass rush been? I mean, they other than that one sack for Matt Judon, they had no pressure on Andy Dalton whatsoever. I mean, where has this been? I thought Terrell Suggs was talking about coming back and playing more football. Well, if he's going to, they need to start getting some sacks in crucial situations because that's just not happening. I mean, six at Aussie for two or three rounds of the draft. I mean, where is this? I just don't get it. And there's no pressure on the quarterback. That doesn't help the secondary in the first place. But, like I said, for the Ravens to be able to put them in a fourth and 12 position, and all they needed to do was stop them, that's just the one thing they can't do. And it's just so frustrating because time after time again, 
This is how it happens, whether it's Antonio Brown scoring that touchdown or Tyler Boyd scoring the touchdown. The Ravens have been knocked out of the playoffs because of their inability to stop one play and one receiver win. It's no surprise what the Bengals are trying to do. They're trying to score a touchdown to win the game. I don't get it. It's not like they're throwing up a Hail Mary. It's not like they're trying to run a screen play, not trying to run a trick play. This was a normal pitch and catch for a touchdown. Same with the Antonio Brown catch last year. It's not like the Bengals are pulling a fast one on them. I don't get it. Dean Pease has been in the NFL for so long. He coached like 45 years. Do you, I don't, maybe does he know how to stop that? I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm glad they're moving on from him. I heard they talked to Bagano. Hopefully he can come in or promote from within. But there just needs to be something. There just needs to be some changes. It just you can't year after year be losing to the same to the same teams in the same situation, and it just even hurts. It hurts even more that the Bengals had nothing to play for when, and now Marvin Lewis is the head coach for another two years. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That's a different story. I don't blame fans that they don't want to go watch games after watching what happened on Sunday in single digit weather. I mean, why would you want to? I'd rather just stay in my house and watch the Ravens lose like that. Yeah, absolutely, and. The the blame can be pointed in many directions. I know that we've we've harped on the the coaching staff, we've harped on uh, the Ravens' defense, but point to uh, the the offense, you know, falling flat like they did in the first half. But the defense gave up a touchdown to the Bengals in, on the first drive of the game. So really, the majority of the blame for this loss should, I believe, should go to the defense. But there is some blame to go to the offense as well. By the end, uh, it really speaks to the lack of help they've given Joe this year. By the end of the game, you had two healthy receivers one of which was a practice squad call-up from the week before, and I know that they couldn't do anything about Michael Campanero falling over equipment and getting injured and rolling up his ankle. But by the end of the game, the Ravens trailing, needing a quick score, and only having two healthy receivers, one of which shouldn't even be on the active roster, really goes to speak about the lack of help they've given Joe, and I credit him for being able to come back in the second half and put a performance together. But that that first half, I mean, that... I don't, I don't know how much blame should go on the offense compared to defense in this game, but man, the lack of urgency, the lack of a start, the lack of firepower the offense came out of, it really reflects on the entire coaching staff. Yeah, it does. I, mean, it's, I don't know if there's anything else you can say about that. I mean, there were a ton of drop passes, but I mean, Flacco just hasn't had any help. Like we talked about, Alex Collins is, was the guy they picked up off the street. I mean... And then they're probably going to have to blow up the wide receiver position this offseason because a lot of those guys are free agents. Jeremy Macklin didn't really give you much after he was supposed to be the big free agent signing. And I mean, the tight ends have been nowhere to be found. And your best, your second leading receiver and your best tight end is 36 years old. So, I mean, they definitely need to give Joe help. And he gets so much flack. And I mean, he deserves it at some points because he definitely underthrew Wallace on a couple of those passes that could have led to touchdowns. But I mean, he's a, 32, 33-year-old quarterback without any help in the latter part of latter part of his career. I mean, what do you expect him to go out and win a game by himself? That's just not the quarterback he is. Yeah, I agree with everything Joe just said, 100%. Like, I'm so mad that we're we got another year with the same exact conversation. We didn't change at all, guys. And there really isn't a lot to say after everything we just went over, but. There's a lot of Ravens fans that are clamoring for the heads of John Harbaugh and Marty Morningleg. We know that uh, Dean Pease is not going to be back. But we, with this, with that being said, we should talk about what should happen with the Ravens, what we actually believe what should happen versus what will actually happen. But for me, what should happen, in my opinion, I think Morningweg and Harbaugh should both go, and the Ravens should use the entire offseason to pump resources into their offense to help Joe. Maybe, you know, like they did last year, if, I, I'm not sure the exact pick amount that they have, but give the majority of your draft picks to the offense and one or two maybe on the defense 
I believe will actually happen is the Ravens will keep Harbaugh, promote a guy like uh, Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator, and we're going to talk about that position in a couple minutes here. But then I also believe they'll hire a new offensive coordinator. Who that is, I'm not sure yet. Um, and then Ozzy's status is the big question. But I could also see them rolling with, with Marty Morningweg at this point, just for the consistency factor. If they do that again, I'm so done. I'm done. So I turn, I turn the question to you guys now. Give me what you believe should happen versus what you think will actually happen. Well, Marty Morningweg shouldn't be back. You know that. I'm done with Harbaugh personally. I, you know, we're, we're talking about coordinators. Well, you, the reason the coordinators are here. Um, I just think, what's a guy have to do to get fired? Uh, go 8-8. Eight and eight. After the Super Bowl, he's gone 8-8, 5-11, 8-8, or 9-7, and seven, Eight and eight, nine and seven. Like, come on. How many times can you miss the playoffs before you get fired? I mean, Marvin Lewis still has a job, so I guess anyone can. What is it with AFC North? Is like, you're just not allowed to fire AFC North coaches. I mean, Tomlin's the only one who doesn't deserve to be fired in the AFC North. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll tell you, to you this way: John Harbaugh is responsible. The buck stops with him. You're going to keep him in charge when you're complaining about his coordinators. What is John Harbaugh doing? What what does he bring? I, I, I'm i just, what does he bring? He brings leadership. Well, if you take away his coordinators, you're cutting away his power. You're taking away leadership, and you're going to make players resent the fact that he's the only one who's never taken the blame. But, you know, whatever. Harbaugh's going to stay. I, I'm venomously angry. I, I can't help it. Harbaugh's going to stay. You're going to make him change offense coordinators. You'll get Pagato, uh, you'll promote in-house, which I'm not for because, and I'm not for it because if you thought Dean Pease was okay, that's the standard. I think you need a new standard. I think Pagato, you should come back or maybe even a higher Jim Leonard, the Wisconsin's defensive coordinator. Not a bad idea. Um, I just, I, I'm done with Harbaugh. I'm done with him, but he's going to come back. We know that. Yeah, Harbaugh's going to come back. I mean, see, the Saudis on the lo- on the most loyal owners, and he's going to stick with this guy. I don't think that's any question. I mean, it's just it's just how it's just how it is. And I hope Marty doesn't come back. I saw the article that Joe said he expects Marty to come back, and that's just sickening. Makes me want to throw up. I really hope Marty does not come back. I'd honestly like to see if they're going to change coordinators because I do feel bad for Joe because of the inconsistencies he's had at offensive coordinator. But if you're going to do that, then why not just promote in house and just make Greg Roman the offensive coordinator? I feel like he's just, he came into this position knowing that he could have the chance to do that. I think it's time for Greg Roman to become the offensive coordinator. I wouldn't be mad about it. Um, I think he brings a lot more to the offensive game than Marty Morningwake does. I hate Marty Morningwake. I don't know why the Ravens ever kept him this season. He is absolutely terrible. Mark Tressman was even worse before. I don't know what, what Harbaugh's thinking because he obviously has a lot of um, say in who he has as his coordinators, and he picked both of Dean Pease and Morningwood to come back this season, and I don't know why he doesn't get um, any blame for riding the ship down with them. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. I know We know Biscotti gives Harbaugh the free reign to choose whether he wanted to keep those two guys this year, and he did. Look what happens. We're back in the same place. It's no surprise that when you keep the same coordinators last year who were mediocre, you become mediocre again when you don't make any changes. I don't, I don't think it takes an NFL expert to know that, but I'd like to see Roman – as offensive coordinator. I'm not sure about Pagano. I think he'll get a lot of looks someplace else, but the connection back to Baltimore definitely helps. I agree with Chris. I don't 
I'd rather see an outside guy come in just to change things up. Pagano was great with the defense when he was here for his one season as defensive coordinator. He didn't really have much help in Indianapolis. They had to put, put together a terrible roster. So I think with a lot of defensive help, he can come back and be really good. But, I mean, for right now, it's all of it's just speculation. I mean, we're so early into the offseason with head coaching jobs and coordinator positions still yet to be decided. There's still a lot that could happen. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think we're all in agreement here that John Harbaugh is going to stay. And I think this year is going to be his final one. And we'll see what happens because if he if the Ravens miss the playoffs again, there's they have to blow everything up. I don't even care. It doesn't matter. We are the Ebony Bird podcast again. Ebony underscore Bird on Twitter as well as EbonyBird.com. Again, coming to you through either iTunes or Blog Talk Radio. Be sure to download the Ebony Bird app. Again, I'm your host Jake McDonald. You can follow me on Twitter at jmcdonald 95 contributor for Ebony Bird, the official uh, Baltimore Ravens page um, fan cited. And, of course, two site experts joining me, Chris Schistler at FootballMan58 and Joe Schiller at Joe Schiller with two R's. So, guys, moving on now, again, the Ravens announcing that John Harbaugh's season-ending press conference will take place at 11 o'clock on Thursday. We're still not aware of when the season-ending State of the Ravens press conference uh, is going to take place, but that'll certainly be uh, one where you'll be wanting popcorn as a necessity. I know I plan on making popcorn when that happens just to see uh, what the mood is in the room following the Ravens' fourth playoff miss in five seasons. So moving on now, of course, like we alluded to, we kind of touched on this already, but we should talk about the what we think will happen with the defensive coordinator position. Again, Dean Pease retiring at 68 years old and after 40, over 40 years of coaching. There's a lot of options here. Again, Wink Martindale, the linebackers coach, is the option that they'd hire from within. The last five offense or defensive coordinators for the Ravens have all been in-house options. But then you have Chuck Pagano, who has said that he might want to take a break from coaching following his uh, departure from the Indianapolis Colts. Then you have Jack Del Rio, who's also going to be out there. So we'll go over to Joe and then Chris. Those three names, how do you feel about each of them? I mean, I think Martindale's going to be the guy. As much as I don't think he should be, he's going to, because they always promote in-house, and they kept that pretty consistent. It's not going to shock me to be to see the sixth defensive coordinator be promoted from in-house. I mean, he's been the – um, linebackers coach C.J. Mosley spoke very high of him. He helped develop him and a couple of, of the other Ravens linebackers, so the, fami- the familiarity is there. Um, Pagano, I'd really like to come in. I think he's the number one guy. He's the guy the Ravens should definitely be going for. Del Rio seems like a bit a bit of a wild card, but he still does have that connection back to the Ravens. I mean, he was back early in the late 1990s and early 2000s, but he's another one of those Aussie guys who went on in the head coaching ranks, and I think he's someone that Aussie could get in touch with. I don't think we can count that out, but I think ultimately it's going to be Wink just because of his time in the organization and stuff. But we'll see what happens with Pagano. I really hope that he's the guy, and I think a lot of other Ravens fans feel the same. Yeah, I think Pagano's the top guy. I uh, I think Wink's going to get the job. I agree with everything Joe said. Frustratingly, I agree with everything Joe said because I I don't want an in-house guy. I want, I want change. I don't want just to promote from – when you promote from within and the guy he's replacing didn't do a good job, doesn't make me – I mean, it worked with Pagano, but Terrell Austin should have been the defense coordinator instead of team piece. Jim Leonard is a guy I really like. Young yeah, you, when you promote the guy well, – yeah, when you promote from within, you promote when the guy in front of you is leaving or going somewhere, not when a guy gets fired or retired. Like, I don't yeah, I, I agree, Joe. It's, it doesn't make – Jim Leonard's a guy I would – take a look at the defense coordinator for the Wisconsin Badgers, uh, youngest defense coordinator in college football, former Ravens player, gets it. I think he's on the rise. 
I wouldn't mind giving him a call. I'm not sure you can get him away from Wisconsin. That's a good job as a defense coordinator from big time college program. But I like the idea of that more than with Martindale. Uh, I, I, it's Pagano and Leonard to me as my top two guys. I don't even know if Leonard would be on the radar, but, and then Del Rio would be my third choice and Martindale would be my last choice. I wouldn't count on Big Ben Geo either, defensive coordinator. Uh, for that, the Bears, that's too. a good, that's a good one. That's a good one. I mean, someone brought up a good point. I mean, the Bears suck this year, but they swept the entire, or no, almost swept the, or they did swept the entire AFC North and they're pretty good on the defensive side of the ball. So, hey, he's pass a rush. former Ravens guy too. Mm-hmm. Pass rush. That's, you know, he, he knows you need pass rush. I, I wouldn't mind a guy who was going to bring in a 4-3 defense either. I think we're more equipped for it, to be honest. So yeah, I can't see them changing from from that either. So, well, one last topic to break down. Of course, four wild card games taking place this weekend. So we want to talk about the matchups and a little bit of the give some picks as well. One one quick thing, I want to hear what you guys what you guys your thoughts are about the Bills. Certainly, the fact that they have Tyrod Taylor, and I mean, despite all the harsh emotions on Sunday, I I gotta be honest, it, it was really nice to see just the reaction from the Bills locker room and the. Uh, and, the, and the fans, these are people that have never seen their team play in the playoffs, period. And I know it's coming at the expense of the Ravens. But still, I, I think it's kind of nice to see the Bills in the playoffs. I, I, I know, they have, like I said, they have Tyrod. But are you guys happy for them, or are you, are you bitter about that? I'm personally happy because I have a couple of friends that are Bills fans. Uh, but I wanted, to, I wanted to see how you guys felt about them getting in. Well, I kind of feel bad. Uh, my best friend is a Ravens fan who lives in Buffalo. Um, so... Kind of feel bad for him because he's got to deal with, uh, oh, you helped us get to the playoffs, crap. Um, but good for Buffalo. They're loyal fans. Good for them, but it hurts. Yeah, I mean, I guess good for them for ending the playoff drought. I mean, kind of sucks that it had to come in defense of the Ravens' failures. But, I mean, I guess we get to see Bill's Mafia one more week, and who knows what they've been doing already in the past couple of years, how they'll handle a playoff game. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, and certainly seeing the Bills fans donate to Andy Dalton's charity. I mean, despite despite what happened on Sunday, it's still nice to see a good cause uh, raise some money there. But again, uh, this this wild card weekend, we're going to break down the games. We'll go we'll break down the Saturday games and the Sunday games. But first, I mean, on Saturday, the playoffs officially beginning at 4:30 on ESPN and ABC. Actually, it's going to be interesting to see John Gruden possibly call his last game with, as he's been linked to possibly be getting the Raiders head head coaching job. The first matchup in the game that Gruden's calling is going to be the Tennessee Titans taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm going Chiefs there. And then 8-15 on NBC, we have Atlanta, the Atlanta Falcons taking on the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams, of course, going from worst to first and hosting their first playoff game in a long time in Los Angeles. I'm going to pick both the home teams there. We'll go over to Joe and then Chris. How are you feeling about both these Saturday matchups? Um, I like the Chiefs in that game. I don't think the Titans fare well on the road. Marcus Mariota really hasn't been that great this year. I'm not sure about DeMarco Murray's status. He was, he missed the game against Jacksonville. Derek Henry's a good running back, but I think the Chiefs have really come on after their struggles, and I think they definitely win that game, especially playing home at Arrowhead. Uh, I like the Rams, too. I think they're – I honestly think they're Super Bowl-worthy. They have the talent to, become, to be to win the Super Bowl this year, and on both sides of the ball, especially with how Todd Gurley and Jared Goff have been playing. And the Fal- but the Falcons are one of those teams that are always a little sneaky. They snuck into the playoffs. They you know, still have Matt Ryan, still have some of his offensive weapons. But I think the Rams at home will definitely be um, the favorite in this matchup, and I think they'll win. I think they'll give the um, Eagles or 
Vikings are going to run for their money in the playoffs, too. Yeah, I have the Rams as my Super Bowl pick, so obviously I have them winning. I Joe kind of stole my thunder. I have the Rams as my Super Bowl pick. Um, I think the uh, the Chiefs win. Um, I I just I just don't think the Titans are good enough, and I think Mariota is not where he needs to be right now. Um, so yeah, those. That's where I go with that. Moving on on Sunday now, 1 o'clock and 4 o'clock. The early game, the Buffalo Bills taking on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Of course, both these teams playing the playoffs. I mean, the Bills, first time in 18 years, and the Jacksonville Jaguars, first time in 10 years. And then you got the coaching scenario. Doug Marone, uh, the head coach for the Jaguars, coaching against his former team in the playoffs. I'm going to go upset special here. I'm going to pick the Bills. They're the only road team that I'm picking this weekend. Um, but I just don't like the way the Jaguars finished out the regular season, two losses to the 49ers and the Titans. Um, I know uh, both those games were on the road, but I, I just I have a bad feeling about Blake Bortles going up against the Bills' defense. And I'm just I'm Team Tyrod right now. I, I'm nothing, I would love to see nothing more than to him to go on the road and pick up a win. I don't think it's going to be too hard. I think that the Bills are going to have a very strong showing of fan support down there. There's a bunch of fans that I know are planning to go down there. Um, and I actually think that they could have just as good, if not better, of a showing than the Jaguars fans down there. I'm going to go Bills there. And then the latter matchup, the Panthers taking on the Saints. This is probably going to be the game of the week, but I'm going to go Saints here. I, I'm, I don't like what I saw from the, the Panthers last week on the road um, against the, the Falcons, losing the, their last regular season game, really struggling. And going on the road, playing the Saints in the, in the Superdome in the playoffs, not an easy thing to do. I could see the Panthers winning, but I'm going to go Saints here. We'll go over to Chris and then Joe for these two Sunday matchups. Yeah, I got the Jaguars winning. I disagree with you on that. I think Jacksonville's defense is going to screw up the Bills. I think the Jaguars uh, get a little bit of a wake-up call going into the playoffs that they didn't really need to win. Um, so I, I, I think they beat the Bills. I think the Jaguars are actually the AFC wildcard team that has a chance to beat a Pittsburgh or a New England. Um, I, I, but maybe that's just because I want one of those teams to fall. Uh, but um, with New Orleans, uh, Alvin Kamara and Drew Brees are one hell of a tandem. Uh, you, the Saints defense is actually playing respectable football. It's still not great, but it's respectable. Uh, I, I got to go to the Saints here. I think the Saints, I think the Saints have, have it. I think this is, the best Saints team since they won the Super Bowl, and it should be fun. Yeah, I agree with you, Chris. I'm going to go Jaguars. I don't know. I will give the Bills a chance if McCoy plays, but I don't know what's up with him with his ankle injury, so that's going to be a tough one. Um, but, yeah, I'll go with the Jags. I, I just don't know if Tyrock can handle this secondary. I mean, he's not a quarterback that's going to beat you by himself. So I think the Jaguars' secondary, if they can get some interceptions and take advantage of that, this could be a, um, a blowout. Um, on the other side, I like the Saints. As much as I want to pick the Panthers, the Saints are just too good with Ingram and Kamara and Michael Thomas and Drew Brees. I mean, they're just so good this year, and they're, they've are they been pretty much unstoppable at home and playing in the Superdome is one of the hardest things to do as a road team. So I think I'm going to pick the Saints as well. And with that, we'll wrap up probably the most depressing, angry, and negative podcast, to say the least, that we've had on the Ebony Bird podcast. I don't know, Jake, the Chicago game. After the Chicago game, it might have been more depressed. I don't know. Uh, both, it's, I mean, it's, it's close. Both are up there, I mean, obviously, but I think this one, just because it was a season ender, probably. Yeah, it weighs more. Yeah. 
but uh, I certainly don't. I don't disagree with that at all. That was a pretty pretty negative one as well. But if we if we brought you down in the dumps a little bit, we apologize. But we're we're just being realists here on the Ebony Bird Podcast because that is what happened. And the Ravens, as we're going to talk about all off season long, have a lot of questions to answer. And we will be here the entire to ride it out with the Ravens and the franchise and the fans that I think I can speak for everybody here are a little disgruntled, and that's certainly showing through the the efforts that they've made to show up to the stadium this year. And it was all that evident on Sunday when it was still, despite basically being a playoff game, still empty. But with that, we'll sign off for this week on the Ebony Bird Podcast. Again, I'm your host, Jake McDonald. You can follow me on Twitter at jmcdonald 95 our two site experts, Chris Schessler at FootballMan58 and Joe Schiller at Joe Schiller with two R's. And we are collectively Ebony Bird, Ebony underscore Bird on Twitter. Again, EbonyBird.com. For Chris and Joe, I'm Jake McDonald. We'll see you next week on the Ebony Bird Podcast.